Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th President of the United States. <laughs> And welcome to the 11th podcast of American History 2. I'm Mark McClay. Um, and our apologies for the delayed release of this podcast. Uh, we were hit by a mid-semester illness, likely brought on by, I would imagine, the thought of copious amount of essay marking that awaits myself and Malcolm. Thankfully, however, Malcolm, you have recovered and uh, you join me once again. Hello. And hello, Mark. Yes, fully fit and recovered and looking forward to getting back into uh, discussing American history on the podcast. Yes, and uh, today we're going to be looking at a topic that you know features very prominently in terms of like a popular history um, of of America. And to help us discuss it, we are very fortunate to be joined by the University of Glasgow's Fraser McCallum. Hello, Fraser. Hello, Mark and Malcolm. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, as you know, I'm a fan of the podcast, and it's nice to be in the celebrious surroundings of Edinburgh. <laughs> um, so, Fraser. Uh, we've brought you on today, um, basically, not 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 through any fondness or anything, just basically because you've done a lot of research on both the the JFK assassination and also its role in American culture, you know, kind of looking at television and film representations of it. Um, and during the podcast, we're going to be discussing the assassination, the conspiracy theories that it's triggered, why these conspiracy theories developed, and why they even matter. And finally, we'll maybe finish with a, a quick or even extended discussion of JFK's legacy. Um, so, Fraser, I want to start with you. Let's start off with a few basics before we get into a deeper discussion about the assassination. Um, so, November 22nd, 1963, the day that American President John F. Kennedy is, uh, is assassinated in Dallas, Texas. What can you tell us about that day that is actually uncontested? Okay, well, not a lot of that day is uncontested. This is part of the problem. But to start with the basics, Kennedy comes to Dallas in November 1963 primarily to heal a rift in the Democratic Party in Texas. Uh, the split between John Connolly and Ralph Yarborough over the liberal conservative wing of the Democratic Party in Dallas and Texas. 
He comes here in sort of early preparations for the 1964 election. Obviously, the South is going to be important. That's why Lyndon Johnson's his vice president, after all. Um, so he comes here to go do. He comes to Dallas to do various stops on on the tour, giving speeches and what have you. And uh, about twelve thirty. And so I just wanted to interject there. The, there's often talk that Kennedy was going to dump Johnson in 1964. <laughs> What's your take on that? Do you think he, or do you think that's just sort of writing history and like you know, in in retrospect of what what came after with Johnson's presidency? I think it would have been politically foolish for them to dump Johnson. I certainly. Uh, there's enough evidence that it was discussed, mm-hmm. but I imagine that almost every administration at some point floats the idea of a change to the ticket. Don't t- don't tell me that Obama ever ever floated the idea of getting rid of Diamond Joe. You couldn't get rid of Biden; it'd be far <laughs> less entertaining. But I, I certainly, you know, there was enough of a rift between the Kennedys, or the the, the Irish Mafia, and the Kennedy mm-hmm. administration and Johnson that I've no doubts the idea was floated. Bobby Kennedy, especially, had uh, a very very poor relationship. With LBJ, mm. but the, the the notion that they were going to dump LBJ for Bobby Kennedy, which is often floated, is is really nonsense. Cool. So now that we've debunked that, then so so we're back in Dallas, and Kennedy's healing a rift rift with the within the Democratic Party. Um, so he's obviously on the motorcade. What from from this point on is everything contested? Um, or, or apart from the uh, Malcolm, if you want to come in here. Can I, can I kind of I'm going to I'm going to kind of like go up against some conspiracy theories which we'll get on to later. One uncontested no I mean it's not uncontested, but the indisputable fact is Kennedy was killed by a lone gunman, in the form of Lee Harvey Oswald. They, okay, so Mal- there, Malcolm's putting his cards on the cards a, on the table. Is, there is an uncontested fact about the Kennedy assassination: lone gunman Lee Harvey Oswald on his own killed the president. I'm going to put that right out there, straight off the bat. Okay, okay. We will definitely come back to that, but I'm glad that... And, I, I, and I'm pretty sure Fraser is in some disagreement with you, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, and getting on to that. So, Fraser, maybe maybe from this point, say, so what happens to Kennedy? So around 12.30, the motorcade turns into the area of Dallas known as Dealey Plaza. If anyone's ever been to Dallas, Dealey Plaza is this large municipal area and after you leave there, you're on the freeway. Uh, so this is really the last point in downtown Dallas at which the parade is going to take place. Turn into this, this hairpin bend. It's a strange setup. Um, and this is one of the, the things that comes into conspiratorial thinking later on. But it comes around this lot, this, this corner with a tight bend under the shadow of a building called the Texas School Book Depository, which is exactly as it sounds, it's a, a warehouse essentially. And uh, shots are fired. And, uh, and Kennedy is killed and John, uh, John Connolly, who's riding in the car with him, who uh, <laughs> you could argue won the debate with Ralph Yarborough, who gets to ride in the presidential motorcade. I think he may have changed his mind after the fact as to who won that yeah. debate. But uh, they are both hit. Kennedy is killed. And from there on in, it's uh, open season, really, on, on what happened in the vicinity, despite what Malcolm says. <laughs> <laughs> and to an extent, Malcolm is right. The, the uh, official verdict is... Uh, which stands to this day is that Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, a young former Marine who'd migra- who had um, defected to Russia and come back, was an employee of the Texas School Book Depository, fired uh, three shots from the sixth floor window, sixth floor corner window, um, one shot misses. That is, that, that is actually also another uncontested fact that one shot 
missed the motor gate completely, mm-hmm. uh, which caused a lot of problems, as we'll probably discuss when we talk about the, the investigation. And uh, the other two shots, one hits Kennedy, goes through Kennedy's body and hits Connolly, and the other one uh, is the, the famous headshot, which is what you know, ultimately kills JFK. So that's so Malcolm's right to say that's mm. to, to an extent that is the official verdict and stands to this day, despite the the wealth of conspiratorial literature. Okay, yeah. So what you've kind of outlined is roughly what the the Warren Commission, which Johnson appointed um, after becoming president, um, which included what was it, Gerald Ford, and it was the the Supreme Court Justice. Uh, um, Oh, his, his name's escaping me. Errol, 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 Errol Warren, Warren thank you. Supreme Court, other kind of like notable kind of like senatorial and congressional figures like Richard B. Russell yeah. uh, and stuff like that are brought on. So it's a blue ribbon commission to investigate yeah. the assassination. You also have John J. McCloy, John uh, John McCloy, the uh, president of the World Bank, I think, the yeah. National Monetary Fund, one of them. Uh, and you have most conte- the one that's most contested is you have Alan Dulles, who was the former head of the CIA, CIA. who yeah. Kennedy had not long fired okay. from the CIA. So, I mean, it, but it's a very much a Blue Ribbon Commission yeah. comes to this verdict um, that you've outlined. So, what that, we've kind of got the official view and where that still stands. So, I mean, I know both of you are familiar with, with what the kind of with the conspiracy theories. So, maybe, I don't know if, if Malcolm, you maybe want to start with a, a, a couple of the more logical, uh, well, you've already put your cards on the table and said you don't believe them, but I want you to commit to quickly describe in a couple of maybe the more logical conspiracy theories and then Fraser I don't know if you maybe want to talk about a couple of the more outlandish but yet often popular uh, conspiracy theories um, and if we kind of try and run through these quite quickly yeah I mean there's things like I mean very briefly there's things like it was the mafia what did it uh, that because of investigations uh into you know organized crime you know bobby kennedy's kind of kind of stuff that he he had been been doing that the mafia killed kennedy they hired a hitman in the form of oswald bang wipe out the president because they wanted to kind of get rid of investigations into mm-hmm. into organized crime that's a very simple version mm-hmm. of it this brings in people like sam giancana santo trafficante jimmy hoffa or like thing who also meets a bit of a sticky and mysterious end and there's another conspiracy theory so one thing is that it was the Mafia what did it. Another conspiracy theory, it wasn't the Mafia, it was actually the American government what did it in the form of the CIA and or the FBI, uh, who for various reasons, and everyone's got their own explanations uh, for this, wanted uh, to off the president. So on one hand you have organised crime, on the other hand you have organisations within the American system of government that are mm-hmm. killing the president. Well, the more outlandish theories, the the, the favourite one of the moment is, and have to brace yourself here, Mark, <laughs> Lyndon Johnson organised the assassination of JFK in order to ascend the presidency. Look, to build a great society, there have to be some <laughs> martyrs, you know? <laughs> now, what's interesting is that, as you discussed on previous podcasts, there's a, you know, LBJ is having a bit of a a cultural moment with all the anniversaries that surround his presidency. With that, there's a small but significant cottage industry of literature proving, quote-unquote, that uh, LBJ is involved in the assassination. Now, to be honest, a lot of it's nonsense, complete nonsense. The reason it survives, I think, though, is that if this was an Agatha Christie book or a, you know any detective novel, when you examine means, motive, and opportunity, then LBJ has to figure in 
but in all honesty there's nothing in the record the people who have come forward to, to accuse him of being involved and really are are not credible um, I watched the YouTube clip of his former mistress um, Madeline Brown yeah Madeline Brown who, who managed to lose two paternity suits against the Johnson estate so she's she's bit, but the story is still mm-hmm. regurgitated time and again but it's I mean the thing is it's, a, it's an attractive theory if you look at who benefits the most from the Kennedy assassination mm-hmm. it's Johnson mm-hmm. he gets to be president mm-hmm. you, know, you can see why I mean this is one of the, you know, the superficially attractive things about conspiracy theories so you go, well, there's a certain logical kind of progression uh, there, no matter how much nonsense it actually is. I mean, well, the interesting thing I, I find like in a serious uh, term about uh, Johnson's role in all this is the fact that he goes to his deathbed not believing what... Um, I'm right in saying that Johnson didn't believe what the Warren Commission... No, no, argued. he doesn't. And, and neither does Bobby Kennedy, neither the members of the Warren Commission. So, you know, it's not entirely uh, fanciful. I mean, None of this is entirely fanciful. So. The, the original conspiracy, Kennedy conspiracy theorists, are in government. They are Bobby Kennedy, they are Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. I think at this point it's important to, to talk briefly about the Warren Commission mm. in that there is an absolute provable conspiracy in this Kennedy assassination story. Mm-hmm. And that is the Warren Commission is set up with the prime goal of establishing that Lee Harvey Oswald was the guilty party and only Lee Harvey Oswald. Now that's now been adapted into be this nefarious, all-encompassing government conspiracy. But in fact, it's simply uh, the, the reason that's happened is that we've stripped the Kennedy assassination of its Cold War context. Mm-hmm. LBJ was especially concerned that there would be pressure on him to launch an invasion of Cuba if it was proven that Castro was involved, or that the missiles, as he quote, as he's quoted on tape, is saying he's worried the missiles are going to start flying between the USA and the Soviet Union if there was mm-hmm. deemed to be any KGB involvement. So the, the, there was a, the, the Warren Commission is set up, and it's, there's a paper trail for this from Nicholas Katzenbach, who was the Deputy Attorney General, and given that Bobby Kennedy was the Attorney General, he is the de facto Attorney General at this point. Bobby Kennedy mm-hmm. is in no fit state to function as a human being, never mind as a member of government. Um, G. Edgar Hoover is eager to to uh, make sure that there's no Im- implication that the FBI have been in any way inept in, in not preventing the assassination. The CIA have lots to hide because of what they've been doing in Cuba, which we'll probably talk about. Um, so there is a definite provable conspiracy theory here. It's just not the conspiracy theory yeah. that sells books and people are familiar with. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, Johnson, as you point, Johnson from the, the outset, he thinks the Cubans have done it. He thinks Castro, because you talked to you, I talked about the, the CIA there. Is Johnson is aware of all the CIA you know, assassination attempts on, on Castro, on, yeah. but the American public are not aware of this and they don't want this to come out. And Johnson is, is fearful that Castro has got to the president first. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one of his his immediate reactions. Kathy Olmsted talks about this uh, in her in her book Real Enemies about the about conspiracy theories and everything. Uh, but yeah, so the, you know, there is, I mean, that's the that's the interesting thing about the Kennedy assassination. There is there are conspiracies and there are cover ups, but they're not the cover ups that many conspiracy theories posit. I mean, I was also wondering if you think that the actual circumstances, the actual assassination itself lending itself to conspiracy theories. Um, like, for example, it's quite hard to argue that 
like even though some people do that Bobby Kennedy like there was some like you know grand assassination because lots of people saw him get shot in a in the hotel ballroom or sorry as he was leaving the hotel ballroom by Sirhan Sirhan you know and another such you know assassinations Martin Luther King there's some conspiracy theory about but not as much in the same because James L. Ray was seen such a plausible um, explanation like what do you think it's actually like maybe it's best if you say what are the the very maybe three of the most debated aspects of the actual killing itself like I mean, like that, people have heard of the grassy knoll, for example. You know, it's just an expression. You always say, "Oh, there was someone behind the grassy knoll. There was a, there was a magic bullet. There was a, like all these kind of things." Like, and as someone who hasn't taken a huge interest in JFK assassination, it just seems almost overwhelming to try and get your head around. Okay, so the, if we were to narrow it down to the three most contested aspects, then there would be the uh, the number and direction of shots, which which encompasses this notion of the grassy knoll. And I'll come back to that in just a second. I'll list these three first. Mm. There's that one. There's the uh, autopsy itself, and then there's this notion of the investigation afterwards. But actually, we've talked about that a little bit. The other one I would bring in is the notion, the, the ideas that surround the person that's accused, this, the, the debates around Lee Harvey Oswald himself, which is it's kind of an enigmatic figure. So we'll deal with those in turn. The direction of shots is a big one. Anyone who's watched the Zapruder film, the Zapruder film for people who are not interested or don't know, is the home movie footage taken by a, a local dressmaker in Dallas called Abraham Zapruder, who filmed the uh, footage from around about the area that, that is just slightly to the side of where Kennedy was shot. Uh, it's near the area of Mark referred to as a grassy knoll, which is simply a grassy incline uh, to the, in this same region. Which has a white picket and fence. And the Zapruder film wasn't available for public viewing for a long time, was That's it? That's right. It was um, very, very quickly. I mean, within days, it was bought up by a Time Life Incorporated, who published stills of it in Life magazine. They actually published some of these stills in the wrong order, and they, <laughs> uh, they omitted to, to put in the uh, most graphic one, the final sort of headshot image, which they did ostensibly on grounds of good taste. But this is fed into this whole narrative of because it is quite it. a graphic image oh, it's, if you it's watch, a horrible, watch horrible the Zapruder yeah. film you actually get to put where you, I showed it to I, students I still do that. I still cover my eyes yeah. when, I, when the Zapruder film is I showed it to students yeah. the other week and I mean I said prepare yourself for this because I, you, that bullet hits his hits his head they were all like oh you know yeah. it, I don't think people realise how graphic it is so it was, it was over 10 years before the, the public saw it in mm -hmm. mass I mean it had been sort of disseminated through some court cases and through people who had bootleg copies of it, but it was first shown in 1975 on uh, Geraldo Rivera's uh, TV show. This was before Geraldo was, you know, the a Fox News the Fox conservative. News yeah, yeah, yeah. This was when he was a countercultural figure and he had he had a guy on called Robert Grodin who's a photo analyst who's slightly discredited now for reasons that have nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination, but him and Dick Gregory, who's a stand-up comedian, African-American activist, and became really interested in this idea of conspiracy theories in the mm. Kennedy assassination. They went on the show and, and uh, you know, broadcast it. And if you if you find it on YouTube, the, you know, it comes like Malcolm said, it comes with a warning about how, how graphic it is. Now I've seen it more times than it's probably healthy for any individual. So I have to balance it by watching <laughs> Disney films and things, so I don't end up a complete lunatic. So I mean, we've we've obviously kind of uh, established. Like the the kind of main reasons, uh, sorry, the main issues around the assassination. Um, obviously, we are not going to solve 
who killed JF. Well, Malcolm's attempted to. Um, and then Fraser, I might leave you, uh, your version till the end. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you that at the end. But more importantly, um, I think one of the things to make clear is it's not a minority pursuit to have a, to not believe the official case of the JFK assassination. Like, I'm sure there's an oppose of Ameri- Americans almost. It's very little percentage of Americans believe the sort of official version of events that still stands now. Um, most probably just don't actually really know what happened, don't believe in some crazy conspiracy theory, but have some sort of conspiracy theory. So can we maybe discuss why? Why, why besides the actual events, has, has, has the JFK assassination lent itself to conspiracy theory thinking? Like... I mean, so in, a, in an uncertain and complicated world, conspiracy theories are comforting for people. It gives it, this, it gives a sense of structure and logic, and the sheer randomness of the American president being gunned down by a lone nut, that's, that's random. But if you can give it some kind of structure and meaning, conspiracy theories give meaning to totally random events. What, what, what would you... Anything to add to that phrase? I, I would agree with Malcolm there broadly. Um, William Manchester, who wrote the, if you like, the official account of the assassination uh, in his uh, book, The Death of a President, uh, he argued towards the end of his life that simply it's a case of balance. That on one hand, if you have Lee Harvey Oswald and the President of the United States, that doesn't work out. If you have Hitler on one hand and the you know the, the worst human being that's ever lived in the popular imagination. And you know the Holocaust on one hand, that almost balances out, right? Like it makes sense, but the the idea that this insignificant person can change everything with you know three gunshots. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree with Malcolm there completely. It's it's about comfort and certainty. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's also important who it was? The fact, I mean, obviously, it's important. It's the president of the United States, but. Was John F. Kennedy, you know, the youngest president ever elected, or I, th- I think he was the first one in the twentieth century, you know, sort of. So I want want to unwrap Kennedy a wee bit from the, from the from the from the from the sort of myth of Camelot. Um, how much of what we think of John F. Kennedy, what we think of him, how he lives on in the popular memory, is true? Do we think was he? And I've already revealed my my sentiments on this in the previous podcast. Was he a great liberal hero that you know inspired millions? The the, the interesting thing for me is the way that the, the Kennedy legacy is as contested as the assassination. So the problem with Kennedy is that unlike some other presidents, he was a really aware of the notion of plain politics. So it's really hard to delineate what his his uh, real beliefs were. He he often played to both the right and to the left. He you know managed to position himself as the ultimate cold warrior in the sixty election. I mean he ma- he managed to out Nixon Nixon when it came to things like the missile gap, which was uh, n- entirely fabricious. Yeah, yeah. just nonsense. At the same time, the this idea that he wasn't a liberal, I think, is difficult as well. He certainly there's enough evidence that he was planting the breadcrumbs. To follow if he was elected in the '64 election, when he gives the the, uni- the American University speech calling on greater co- cooperation with the Soviet Union, and he signs the uh, the limited test ban treaty, things like that are indicative, I think, uh, and none more so than the, the the famous televised address on civil rights, which really paves the way for the Civil Rights Act. Now, 
whether Kennedy could have passed the Civil Rights Act that Johnson passed, I think is is probably unlikely. And and Johnson was fortunate in a way that that the combination of his his approach to legislation, coupled with this idea of you know hitching it to the martyrdom of Kennedy, enabled him to pass that legislation so overwhelmingly. So yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to come in. It's interesting that you talk about Kennedy's legacy being like sort of fought over. I mean, I I don't see it that way. I think well, I mean, I think maybe with historians it's fought over, but I think in terms of the general public, there's like even I don't think a lot of conservatives rail against the tyranny of John F. Kennedy. Um, and you know, Ronald Reagan like sort of very was very clear. He used to divide sort of when you were giving speeches, you would divide it into the good sixties of John F. Kennedy and then the bad 60s of Lyndon Johnson and and Richard Nixon. Um, So I think Kennedy, at least in the popular imagination, has sort of been embraced by most Americans. You know, he routinely comes out top of, oh, who was your favourite president of the last 50 years? Um, He'll come out top of that poll. So, I mean, maybe as historians we we divide over it, but as as the general public, it may be less so. I mean, I suppose there's a certain element of the kind of the Kennedy glamour in this, he was young. Yeah. I mean, young. I mean, he was a. I mean, Kennedy beneath it all was a very, very ill man. Mm. But in public, he was vigorous, young, glamorous. He had a, a glamorous family. He came from this background. He was in the prime of his life. He was the new, thrusting young president who was going to, you know, take America. Dare, to the dare we say it, handsome? Handsome. <laughs> he was going to take America to. To, to the moon and do the other things, which he never specified in that speech mm-hmm. what those other things were. But, I mean, would it, I wonder, and this is purely speculation and can like get in, in danger of the kind of Neil Ferguson red flag counterfactual history nonsense thing, but, you know, would it be the same if, for example, a much older president like Eisenhower was, was assassinated? I mean, that, that's pure speculation, but I think that his, his relative youth, his glamour, all that kind of thing that he's gunned down in the prime of life. He's got you know the he's got so much left to give. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. I think contributes in in many ways to that. Yeah. You know, it would maybe be different if it was a much more elderly president. Although yeah. you say that, and Abraham Lincoln throw that at you. You know, he he wasn't a particularly young man at the time. He was he was gunned down. I mean. Slightly different circumstances, and then they, I mean, they were yeah. in historical context, yeah. and all that kind of. And you know, and the Fraser talked about quite yeah. rightly. They, they start talking about we've got to place the assassination in its Cold War context. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and to place it in another context, um, I think is maybe we need to talk a wee bit about the role of assassinations in America in the nineteen sixties. I mean, this is. I almost think you would be slightly terrified if you were a, if you were a, a public figure in the United States at this time. Um, because, uh, I mean, if, if we think, for example, you have John F. Kennedy, obviously in 1963, Malcolm X was killed in 1965, mm-hmm. right? um, and then Robert Kennedy and Mal- Martin Luther King are both killed in 1968, and there's probably a couple that I haven't mentioned uh, besides that. I mean, what was it with America during the 1960s and assassinations? Is it maybe just as simple as... Uh, we had entered into this different era where people were targeting political leaders and the security forces hadn't caught up with it. You know, the Secret Service wasn't good enough or whatever. Um, or was there something, is there something deeper going on in America at this time? I mean, in some ways it's reflective of the, the malaise and the tensions, but, it, but admittedly is at the extreme end of that. I mean, it's one thing to riot and another thing to actually assassinate someone. Um, I, I mean, you, you can talk about 
the lack of changes in Secret Service protocol, but but a lot of them are implemented after the Kennedy assassination, the, the sixty three Kennedy assassination. Uh, of course, is Robert you know, Kennedy receiving Secret Service detail when he's assassinated? I, I know he he would if he was running now, mm-hmm. but I don't I actually don't know if, if in sixty eight if if candidates for primaries had. But actually, now I think about it, I'm not entirely sure if primary candidates do now, but if you're running for president, you, you, you automatically receive one. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many people in that, that uh, kitchen that, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that's barely even relevant. I mean, the, the, the Robert Kennedy assassination is a whole other level of weird when you get into conspiracy theories about yeah. Manchurian candidates and mm-hmm. things. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a whole other thing. It's not something I know a great deal about. Uh, but, but you're right to, to comment on this. Um, this wave, this seemingly you know succession of political leaders who are identified, who have become identified with the left, which isn't strictly true. I mean, it's hard to to characterize Malcolm X as a leftist figure at that point. And also, you know, later on, Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan right, will be exactly. targeted and, by assassins. George Bills. Wallace. And, George uh, Wallace, yeah. of course, yeah. And it's hard to it's, it's it's possible to say that that doesn't really end in 1968. I mean, you can take it all the way up to to John Lennon in 1980. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a a long period I think of of public figure killings, um, and and I think a lot of them have got more to do with American gun culture than anything else. But you know, that's a debatable point, I suppose. I mean, what do what do you think about the the assassination kind of? proliferation for lack of a better word than the that began in the nineteen sixties. Assassination just became the cool in thing to do. You know mm. is it not? I mean that's that's a that's a flippant kind of response to it. But I think I mean I would I would agree with uh, you get copycats. Ma- yeah, yeah many of many of the points uh, you know Fraser made, you know, access to access to guns. The the climate of, of change and fear and tension at the time America is undergoing in great changes. You could, I mean, as some historians have, have done, relate it to this kind of Cold War crisis of American masculinity. In many ways, the, assass- the assassination is some way of the, the assassin reasserting you know, power and masculinity and all these kind of things uh, mm. within this country. You know, there's loads of different ways you can interpret it. Uh, yeah. I think as well when the state is involved in violence, as it was in Vietnam, as it was against protesters in the streets, that that makes perfect sense to me that it filters through society. Um, I, I guess you could make similar claims for, for America today that the school should... I mean, this is Michael Moore's thesis when he made Bowling for Columbine, which I was staggered to learn is well over 10 years old now. Oh, God. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, th- this this idea that when, when a country is involved in violent acts, that that filters down through society. So, you know, there's maybe something in that as well. I mean... To kind of the other one of the other motivations that when we were just talking about conspiracy theories earlier, you almost alluded to it, Fraser, but we haven't discussed openly is JFK conspiracy theory has also been a bit of a money making machine. Um, I mean, the amount of books that get published, um, I mean, even up until what was it two years ago that Stephen King published a, a book reimagining like going back and trying to stop Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, you know what America would have been like with uh, with JFK had lived. Um, apparently was going to end up almost apocalyptic. Um, George Wallace was going to be president in 1968 if Kennedy had lived. But uh, the other thing, I mean, the main cultural source is obviously the film that Oliver Stone releases in 1991, um, just simply called JFK. Um, and I was re-watching it last night, and a couple of things struck me by it. One, 
how much it buys into the myth of Camelot and the Kennedy led. Kennedy was about to pull out of Vietnam. He was about to do... He had nothing to do with the Bay of Pigs. He had everything to do with the wonderful diplomacy of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And America was bound for years of milk and honey with JFK as president. Um, but, I mean, can you can you explain to me how a film triggered Congress to pass a law to look into the Kennedy assassination again? Which is, I mean, it's still technically ongoing. The, the JFK law passed in 1982 and the they're going to release all the documents in 2017. So can you explain to me how that happened? It, it happened to catch into a, a cultural moment, the zeitgeist. Um, it was an incredibly popular film, considering it was an R-rated film in the States and it's three hours long. You know, it, it made the kind of money that, that films that length and that rating don't generally, or didn't at that point generally make. It, I mean, the reams and reams of paper was expend, expended upon um, publishing critiques of the film even before the film was out. It, it seemed to just capture the imagination. I think part of that is because a lot of... I mean, it's fairly critical of uh, journalism, actually, you know, this the lack of investigation. Oliver Stone himself is particularly uh, angry about the lack of journalistic investigation. And so many of the journalists that, that were of, came of age of the Kennedy assassination were by this point in 1991... You know, senior editorial figures, so mm. you know they took yeah. it quite personally. Yeah. Um, so that helped garner this this publicity. Also, I mean, there's there's more mundane things to remember, right? It's it's an all star cast. Even even though some people became famous as a result of the film, it was already. I mean, it's got people like you know Kevin Costner at this point was. Probably, and we forget how big Kevin yeah, Costner was. I mean, was. this this is, is Kevin this, Costner. This before uh, Water, what was what was the bomb? That, uh, water This is water, before Water. This is off a, off a run of he just won the Academy Award for Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. which was a huge hit. He, he he was the same sort of time he made his Robin Hood film. It was bef- just before he made the Bodyguard. I mean, he was on an incredible run, right? He was, a, he was probably the biggest movie star around. And it also has, you know, these other respected actors in it, uh, Sissy Spacek and John Candy's in it, and, you know, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. I mean, so it's a who's who. Of, mm-hmm. so, so that helps as well. And Oliver Stone, by this point as well, is a two-time Academy Award winning director. So he's already got a profile. It also fits in with his filmography quite well. You know, they talk a lot about Oliver Stone's Vietnam trilogy, which is usually taken to be platoon Born on the 4th of July and Heaven and Earth. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would argue that his real Vietnam trilogy is Platoon, Born on the 4th of July and JFK because as you allude to, it's really all about... This is much a film about Oliver Stone's experiences. Oliver Stone fought in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So Platoon's a very autobiographical film. And JFK really is about his anger, I think, at how he sees America going after Vietnam. And and this, this is where this notion of milk and honey and... And it's important to stress as well, by the way, that Kennedy may well have pulled out of Vietnam. There is a, there is enough evidence there to make it a viable question. Again, yeah. again yeah. with Kennedy, as we, as I alluded to earlier, he was very good at being enigmatic. Mm. Sort of like FDR in this this case, and that's the only point at which I'll ever compare JFK to FDR in terms of achievement. Mm. But you know, there's that there's enough evidence there. John Newman, who was a, a military intelligence analyst, you know, an army man. Uh, he wrote a great book called JFK in Vietnam, in which he outlines his thesis that that yes, Kennedy very very possibly would have withdrawn from Vietnam. And he's not a conspiracy theorist by nature, and a lot of his work finds its way into JFK, mm-hmm. albeit in simplified form. 
Well, I mean, I, I, th- I think I, I think it's a reasonable proposition. I think there's definitely two sides of the argument. I mean, undeniably, Kennedy was a much smarter foreign policy president, as you know, like Malcolm. You, you're yeah, you're probably a good knowledge of you know the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything and the skill which Kennedy was able to show. But yeah, and Johnson is a ham-fisted operator overseas. You know, they're very much. Like John, JFK gets the presidency because he cares, because he wants to do something in the world. Johnson wants the presidency because he wants to do something for Americans. Um, so I mean, it isn't the most ridiculous prospect that JFK would have pulled out. But there's also no evidence, no surefire evidence that he was going to either. Sure, but I think part of the reason for its popularity, to come back to your original question, and I apologise for going on a tangent there. But that's, is, that's what we do here. <laughs> but it is connected. This JFK comes at the end of this cycle yep. of Vietnam revisionism right this comes at the end of the you know if you think of it if it comes out in 1991 which by the nature of hollywood makes it really an 80s film mm-hmm. okay it's it's production and its development all probably starts in 1988 89 so it comes at the end of the reagan era even though it comes out under a different president you know it comes from that reagan bush one mm-hmm. era which encompasses ramble and all these other things so it's important that we think of it in that that regard it's that you know vietnam is still at this point in a way that it isn't now you know an important part of the american cultural zeitgeist so this how this partly accounts for its popularity as well as all the other things the controversy around it and the all-star cast and the fact that america is fighting another war right at this point in the exactly. gulf uh with saddam hussein and his invasion of kuwait and all and that george, george hw bush is kicking vietnam syndrome in his wider context yeah, never so mentioned the, the george hw bush involvement in the kennedy assassination conspiracy theory. <laughs> it's very easily found online if any of the listeners want to investigate the darker elements of the internet but i mean this i mean this is the film itself and it's it's quite a while since i've uh, watched it but it's you know but how much it buys into the views of certain individuals jim garrison uh in particular who you know, for those who don't know, it was a, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, phrase was a Dallas prosecutor. He was the New Orleans district New attorney. New Orleans district attorney, sorry, yeah. Uh, and how much it buys into his view of of the Kennedy assassination and, and you know, Garrison's conspiratorial thinking. And Garrison did, had, had some not very edible tactics, did he not? I mean, did he not like, try and use the fact someone was gay? To discredit their like their allegiances or their evidence or something like that was that one of his tactics. I mean? Garrison's a really difficult figure. Uh, he he was in the Air Force and was discharged from the Air Force due to a psychological neurosis, which in itself is not a criticism, but it it does raise questions about his his ability to hold office. He yeah, you're right. He had a, a long reputation stretching back to his first spell as DA of a target New Orleans homosexual community as well as houses of prostitution. Now if anybody knows anything about New Orleans especially in this period, it's a, it's pretty much a safe space for prostitutes and homosexuals and, and he, he launched it as a sort of reformer, which makes it kind of difficult to think of him as a liberal and he was a member of the Democratic Party but but you know he's more of the, the, the conservative element of the Democratic yeah. Party. He And then you're, you're right to, to comment on his uh, approaches his methodology to the investigation he he used truth serums and hypnosis and <laughs> polygraph and like tests yeah, and yeah. all this he, some real yeah. dubious things but on the other hand he did raise a very very important point that 
a lot of his, his um, witnesses were criticised for being prostitutes or drug addicts or, or what have you, been on the fringes of society. And he did raise the important <laughs> point here that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not telling the truth. Um, and he was, I mean, he was bugged. His office was bugged constantly. Yeah. Uh, so it's not complete, again, with, with all of these conspiracy theories, it's not complete flights of fancy. And he has managed, to, you know, so his, his investigation did raise... Some serious questions about the CIA, which then came to be seen as as no longer fanciful, accepted narrative of the history of the Central Intelligence Agency. Mm -hmm. I mean, so to kind of get towards uh, closing this discussion off, then, Fraser, there was a point I wanted to ask, and um, you mentioned uh, I've heard you discuss it before, and by before I mean on the train through here before <laughs> recording this podcast. Um, about how conspiracy theorists, I mean JFK conspiracy theorists especially, um, their how how they view government in a real sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the word schizophrenic manner. Um, so may, I, if you wanted to discuss that, but this is where we get into the the kind of nitty gritty of how conspiracy theories are fundamentally flawed. Whether you believe in the narratives of, that are involved in them, the the structure of them just don't hold. Kennedy assassination conspiracy theories, whether they're right wing or left wing, and you'd be amazed at how, how closely those two things correlate when it comes yeah, to yeah. assassination theories or all conspiracy theories. You'd also be amazed at the number of conspiracy theorists that believe every conspiracy theory. Like Malcolm and I talked about this ourselves. Crank magnetism. Yeah. Crank magnetism, yeah. Fluoro fluoridation of the water. That was a government trying to soften everyone up, wasn't it? Yep. <laughs> Heart, mind control experiments, moon landings, all this <laughs> the, kind of the, stuff. The yeah. 9-11, Area 51... You believe in all or you believe in none, it seems. But the, the, the issue here is that they, they have somehow managed to create this impression of a government structure by which I don't just mean the federal government as in the legislative and executive branch, but the branches that come off of that, the investigative branches, the FBI, mm -hmm. the CIA, the NSA, even the IRS, if you want to get into the really deep, weird conspiracy theories. They believe that this these organisations are capable of working together to somehow hold information from the general public. At the same time, as you alluded to earlier, they look forward with glee to 2017 when they think that these people are going to somehow release information mm. yeah. that will justify all their claims. Yeah, so, go so government is both the killer yeah. and the honest broker and that's going to find out the truth. It's an interesting evolution uh, in trust in government. You know, you go from in the early 20th century where conspiracies are to subvert the government through this kind of this period and everything and it's the government that's doing the subverting that's that's exactly right it's mm -hmm. to prove that i listen to your podcast every episode when you talked about mccarthy a few weeks ago that got to thinking that you know how quickly you go from the mccarthy hearings where it's all about this idea that the conspiracy is that there's elements within the government trying to destabilize the government to Within 15 years, the, the government are trying to, you know, control the, the, the populace. It is a really radical shift, and it's never went back the way. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, and you can, Catherine Olmsted, as I mentioned before, kind of, kind of persuasively, like, you know, shows that declining trust in government and this kind of increasing belief in conspiracy theories, you can see, you know, a correlation, not necessarily causation, but a correlation between these two things, uh, which is you know kind of interesting until we get to the the point today when 
a majority of Americans believe that there is something wrong with the official account 9-11. That they believe that it's not foreign terrorists that are responsible. There is, there is something within the American system that caused, that caused 9-11. And that's, I think, the ultimate expression of what we see with the, you know, the Kennedy assassination. So, so in that sense, can we also see conspiracy theories serving some sort of a useful purpose in terms of it's probably good to question government? Like, you know, like, you know, obviously people take it to extremes. It is, but... it is good to question and it's good to be critical. But the problem with conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorists it is not about the question. Conspiracy theories often couch in terms of like, oh, we just want the truth. I'm just asking questions. All this kind of stuff. That's fine if you're looking for answers that might actually challenge your preconceived beliefs. But we're not. What conspiracy theorists look for is validation. Yeah. Because you will never... I have never met anyone who believes conspiracy conspiracy theories, uh, who ha- who is willing to have their mind changed. So, do you think if they came out and justified the magic bullet theory in two thousand and seventeen, they would go, "Aha!" But they're not telling us something else. <laughs> this is the issue: is that, that some people have tried to demonstrate the magic bullet theory as anything but magic. Now, the problem is, is <laughs> that they don't necessarily demonstrate their methodology. Mm-hmm. So. The people who managed who try to debunk conspiracy theories don't necessarily help themselves either. Mm. Okay, and and it's always like Malcolm said, it's always from a preconceived notion. Just as Malcolm's never met a conspiracy theorist who doesn't want to have their preconceptions challenged, very rarely have I met someone who already has an established view that in this instance there was no conspiracy is prepared to engage with the other side. Now, part of that is because of people like Alex Jones, who runs Infowars.com. Uh-huh. Who is, yes. who right. is I, I, I don't think we should get into that. I, I, I think, but purely on the basis we could be here all day. And, sure. and we need to put this out in a nice but, point. But I think, but, I mean, but Fraser raises yeah. a very good point there about you know belief on both sides. I, you know, mm. I think, you know, as we've, we've talked about, I think it was Oswald that pulls, pulls, pulls the trigger. I don't think he was part of a, a wider conspiracy. But I, I've come round to kind of like, you know, I totally kind of agree that there was a conspiracy involving the Kennedy assassination and all that kind of thing. There, there were actual demonstrable conspiracies to cover up, to mislead, uh, all that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, like my personal view is it almost doesn't matter who killed Kennedy anymore. Like the conspiracy became that huge, and you know, with that much time has passed now, that unless it was someone truly earth shatteringly different than what we think, it doesn't. Matter too it much. It was the aliens made it yeah. <laughs> But Fraser, the real reason I got you on here. Final question, and then we're ending the podcast. Who killed JFK? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm actually, uh, believe it or not, inclined to agree with you, Mark. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't really matter. So you're just going to hedge your bets. About, it's not so much <laughs> about hedging bets, but it's more about this. I I don't necessarily agree with Malcolm that it was most certainly Oswald. There's far too many questions that. That remain unanswered. For example, if you watch the Zapruder film, I'm not in my wildest dreams a physicist, but if someone could explain to me how bullets go one way and and the head goes the same way, you know, my layman knowledge of physics tells me that's impossible. So, you know, there's questions there. There's enough questions about Oswald and his background. I mean, not very many people served in the Marines, defected to Russia, came back, were given a loan to settle and allowed their Russian wife in. So, you know, that's pretty dodgy. And then the number of people that were involved in the sort of periphery of the assassination that met on timely ends is pretty interesting as well. So I think there's enough questions there, so I'm not going to say it was Oswald. 
but I'm also I, I have no answer for you. If I did have yeah. an answer for you, I would not be on this podcast. I would be extremely wealthy. With <laughs> or, a dead. Bo- or, or dead, or dead. <laughs> yeah, I either have, have a book and TV deal, or I'd be dead. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, on that lovely note, and I'm glad that we also got a kind of brief discussion for JFK was going with Vietnam because that'll be what we'll be looking at in the next podcast. Uh, so, Fraser, thank you very much for joining us. I really enjoyed uh, having that discussion. No, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. And Malcolm, as always, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. That was fantastic. Thank you, Fraser. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And also from me. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence in restless dreams I walked alone narrow streets of cobblestone neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the the sound